there. Welcome to From Skirts to Scrubs. I'm Charlotte. And I'm Alicia. And we are two medical students trying to figure out our place in medicine by looking to the past into current events, trying to understand the impact they have on us as women in medicine and as women today. Yes, we are. And we're here. We're back. Episode 23. Woo. Yeah, I know. But before we get into the episode, we want to wish all of our LGBTQ plus listeners a happy Pride Month. We are so, I know, we are so thankful to have you as part of our community and we love you for being you. And for our non-queer listeners, we actually have a call to action for you right off the bat. So right now. Jumping into it. I know. Right now, 27 states have no explicit laws protecting people from discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity, including Michigan. And I'm telling you this for all of my Michigan listeners. (laughs) And the Equality Act is a bill that would amend the Civil Rights Act to ban discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity, which would grant LGBTQ plus Americans explicit protections in employment, housing, public accommodations, and more. The House voted and passed the bill in February, but the Senate is going to be voting on it soon, and it's a close call. And so we have links in the bio for this episode and on our social media for you to sign. There are links to petitions you can sign, um, a link to be a co-sponsor, a community co-sponsor on the bill, organizations you can donate to to support LGBTQ plus causes, and more. And so this is our call to action. Let's do our part as allies because it Mm -hmm. is the least that we can do. Yes, yes. Now let's jump into the episode. So today's topic is a super important and super relevant one that's been discussed a lot in the news and media over the last couple of years. We are talking about trans girls in sports, and we're going to get into the history of it, talking about ideas that people have about allowing trans girls to play women's sports presently, and the recent stories and news around this topic. So we're kind of just diving right in and covering as much as we can and as thoroughly as we can. Yes. Yeah. So of course, before we get into it, we have to start by asking. Sure. All right. So the things I know about trans women in sports are based around the reservations people have about trans women in sports, I guess. So Hmm. like people's reservations based on they might be taking hormone supplements and how does hormone supplements affect their like athletic ability, basically, or how does um, their birth gender, I guess, or birth sex affect them like later in the sport because people like don't understand what it means to transition or be trans. And they think like someone's going to have an, a trans woman might have an advantage over a cis woman mm-hmm. and things like that, which I think are concepts that come from not really understanding trans women. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm sure we're going to dissect that. But those are the things I know, just people's like worries, I guess, about. Yeah, yeah. no, we're definitely going to talk about that. And I'm really glad you brought that up because I think it's really important for us to have a really full understanding and recognize that there are people on both sides of the aisle or all sides of the aisle if we're looking at it like a multifactorial problem. And we have to kind of understand everyone's point of view if we're going to come to a logical, clear understanding of the issue at hand. Mm -hmm. And so I'm glad you brought that up. And yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. There's a lot here. I'm going to learn so much. And so is everyone else. Absolutely. Okay, let's get started. Yay. All right. Okay. So I want to start. By acknowledging that I and Charlotte are cisgender women and that I personally cannot speak to the experiences of trans folks, but my hope is that with this episode, um, we can examine this topic from a feminist perspective and give historical context 
to the issues that trans girls are experiencing today as they enter sports realms at different stages of their lives. Mm -hmm. So as a quick vocabulary and basic facts check, um, so that we're on the same page in case you may not be familiar, but trans, short for transgender, People are individuals whose gender identity is different from the gender they were assigned at birth. When we say trans woman, we are talking about a woman who was assigned male at birth but lives as a woman currently. This may mean that they simply identify themselves as a woman or that they are undergoing or underwent hormone replacement therapy and or gender affirming surgery so that their biological features align in the ways that they want with their gender identity. So I also want to clarify now, in case you are unaware, that intersex and transgender are often intermixed and used interchangeably, but they are not the same. Intersex refers to having ambiguous genitalia at birth, while transgender more so relates to how someone sees their internal gender identity. There may be overlap because intersex babies may undergo surgery, and typically their genitalia are made to be female because that's the easier surgery from my understanding. Um, But if this person grows up to identify more as a male, they may choose to identify as such and therefore would be considered a trans man potentially. So there's a lot of intermixing between the words, but they are separate in that way. Mm -hmm. Great. And that's the thing though, that's tough about language, right? And the words that we use because they are given so much power, like labels have power. And especially when it comes to language, that is so dynamic and changing, we have to recognize that the words that we use and that we have used for a long time did not come out of the mouths of the people who are bearing that label. And so it's our job to be as aware as possible and thoughtful in the words that we're using. And if any of what I say is incorrect, please let me know. We try to use as inclusive and accurate language as we can, but we are very open to feedback and hearing your feedback. We love to know how we can do better. And we would want you to reach out to us and tell us how we can do better. Mm -hmm. Great. So to begin, let's start with the fact that gender is a spectrum, not a binary, and it's a social construct. So like, we know this, we know this fact. But Mm -hmm. most of the past, and even now, that's not a universally accepted truth. And in the eyes of many, gender is a binary of male or female, and you are born as what you are. And there's a lot of spaces that this manifests, but one in particular that's the center of our episode today is sports. So, Char... Can you describe to me how you imagine sports when you think of stereotypical men or stereotypical male sports and stereotypically female sports? Um, okay, stereotypical male sports would be like football, basketball, even though women also play basketball, but I feel like people's first instinct is to think of men. Um, baseball, hockey. Yeah. And then women's sports, I think more like volleyball, softball, Mm -hmm. soccer. Yeah. Soccer also for men. That one I think is like more in the middle tiptoes the line. What if it's a male or female sport predominantly, but yeah, those ones that come to mind swimming also is in the middle. I feel like, um, And I agree. And I think like, also when I think of female sports, I think of the sports that are more graceful. Like I think of figure skating and ice dancing and sports Mm -hmm. that like gymnastics, like you mentioned, like sports that require that are, that seem to be more like having to do with like graceful movements. Um, Yeah. Those are usually associated with women's sports. Whereas male sports are more contact sports, things like that. 
Yeah, um, for sure. But yeah. Especially yeah. the contact part. I never think of women's oh, yeah. sports as contact sports. Oh, I know. I know. I have this terrible fear about like getting kicked in the shins. And that's why I hated soccer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not a good sport if that's shins. your fear. Anyway, so throughout the 1900s, this is where we're starting our story because there's not much history, of course, like when it comes to trans folks and especially trans folks in sports. So it's a pretty recent history that we're doing, but there is a lot there. So throughout the 1900s, there were big shifts in cultural practices when it came to sports and just like gender norms in general. But thoughts about what the quote unquote ideal behavior of men and women were definitely still in the binary model of men and women. And sport is a fundamental part of our society. It's like part of the fabric of our society, right? It's a major social institution and it has a lot of power and value. And in the 19th and 20th century, sports were fully embracing this binary model. And actually in the last quarter of the 1800s, doctors were a pretty big part of why women weren't allowed to participate in sports. Can you think of a reason, Char? Maybe like, did they think like the uterus would get all upset by playing sports? (laughs) Please tell me that's not it. I mean, probably, but it was more so that doctors thought it was physically dangerous for women to exercise. Oh no. Yeah, I know. I know. And then women would try to join male sporting clubs where guys would go and play sports. But the leaders of these clubs would shut them down. This is classic, classic, classic. Not surprised at all. Oh, no. I know. Apparently, schools and universities gave opportunities for women to participate in sports and exercise, though. But it was like only a limited number of people. So. So not everyone. And 19th century sports clubs were also reinforcing the binary that I was talking about because they were making sure that women were seen and known as being well-dressed admirers of men's sports. And also there was this added bonus that the presence of women would allow for a good chance for men and women to meet, maybe have a love connection. I know, I know things are getting saucy up in these sports clubs. And around this time was also a rise in this thing called muscular Christianity, which the dudes, (laughs) that just sounds like all kinds of bad. (laughs) I know. So like the dudes at men's sporting clubs and private schools created this idea directly in response to more women becoming leaders of the Protestant church. And so based on this name, do you have any idea of what muscular Christianity was, Charlotte? I really don't know. It's just (laughs) the stronger you are, the closer you are to God. Like, I don't understand. (laughs) I mean, actually, kind of, yeah. So it's basically that strength, virility, and toughness taught to men through physical activity would instill good Christian values into them. And so this just, I know, I know. And so this just made the divide between men and women playing sports even worse because it was like men need to pursue this muscular Christianity and women should not. Things did get a little better when doctors decided in the early 1900s that light exercise might be good for women. And this was around the time that the bicycle came out as a form of transportation. So girls were just biking everywhere. I was so cute. (laughs) I know they were pelotoning before the peloton became cool. So in the 1920s and 30s, women's softball and hockey became more popular, but female athletes still had to maintain a level of ladylike behavior. And the male coaches and sports administrators of the time were really, really strict about keeping this up. And something that came up around this time that I thought was interesting uh, was record keeping of the outcomes of sports events. 
So like not only who won and who lost, but also distances, weights, and the times were kept. So sports became quantified at this point. And this is important because it made sports something more than just winners and losers. But now the numbers really mattered. They were Mm. a sign of physical fitness and prowess. And they basically re-emphasized ideas that already existed, which were that men were strong, women were weak. Men were athletes, women were spectators. Because now they had numbers to prove it you know? Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. And a binary gender schema still continued to run deep in sports. And what was interesting also was that bodies themselves became a point of interest to people. So especially in the twenties and thirties, when the Olympics kind of came into the international spotlight as the most important international sporting competition, It was at the Olympics that women wanted to show that they were rejecting the constraints placed on them, that they weren't athletic or they weren't fit because they were defying people's expectations by showing some serious athleticism at the Olympics. Mm. But the problem was that Because everything became about numbers and values, even though female athletes were challenging the binary, they just didn't have the same numbers that the men had. Right. But Mm -hmm. anyway, so male administrators are feeling threatened by these women having athleticism. So what do they do? They change the narrative, of course. So the president of the International Olympic Committee, or IOC, was named Avery Brundage. And in the 50s, he worked with sports leaders and popular press to sequester women into quote-unquote feminized sports. So these were sports that you mentioned to me, Shar, but also a couple others. So swimming, tennis, figure skating, mm, forgot about gymnastics. Tennis. Yeah. But this Brundage dude was literally a menace. He was openly Mm -hmm. disgusted by female athletes who didn't meet traditional standards of femininity. And once he even appealed to the IOC to have an American female athlete barred from competition because he thought her voice was too low and her feet were too big. Honestly, this reminds me of like people's reservations about Serena Williams too, Mm -hmm. when she was like a tennis dress to competition, people are like, oh no, like now you're too feminine. But then when she's like super muscular and awesome looking, they're like, well, now you're too masculine. It's like such a, there's always like a debate about her. It's like, just let her be the best tennis player. (laughs) Let her live her life. I know you're right. She is like highly contentious for no reason. Like what is there to contend about her? But all of that was going down. And then we kind of like fast forward to the Cold War. So like 60s, 70s. And during the Cold War was when things like really hit the fan. So for context, Shar, can you tell me uh, anything about the Cold War? What you know about it? It was like the US and Russia, I believe, Mm -hmm. threatening to bomb each other, basically. And just and yeah. just like continuously building their stores of bombs and then saying, I'm going to bomb you. And then they're like, no, I'm going to bomb you first. And yeah, like toddlers. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Literally like two-year-olds. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it was like post-World War II, America and Russia essentially divided up the world. America was like, oh, these countries, we're going to make them in our image. And Russia was like, these countries, we're going to create them in our image. And so there was just a lot of ill will between them because of various geopolitical reasons that we're not going to get into. Mm -hmm. But it was during this time that sports became a proxy battleground, if you will, for the U.S.-Russia conflict. And long story short, women were brought more into the spotlight because any chance to defeat Russia was like a good chance, basically. 
<laughs> but that didn't stop the gendered division of sports or emphasis on keeping women's bodies feminine. Like, no, we don't we don't get rid of those things. We just want you around a little bit more. Uh, but you still have to stay feminine and you still have to stay in your lane. Great. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the one very important point that I want to make, though, is that it was at this time that use of steroids came to the forefront as an issue. The 1930s was when what drug do you think came out? This is the 1930s. We're at the 60s, but I'm tying it back to the 30s right here. What drug do you think came out that is now making an appearance in the Cold War? Dudes have a lot of it. That's like the whole problem. Oh, like testosterone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I was like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was synthetic testosterone. So that oh. was made in the 1930s, but now in the 60s, it was coming up a lot as part of the Olympic Games as the Cold War was peaking. So testosterone became this concern because both sides, Russia and the U.S., were worried about the purity of different sports and they were basically worried that different athletes were doping. Mm-hmm. Um, and so who did they take this fear out on? Do you think they took on this women? fear out on men? Yeah, on women. <laughs> Why would women take testosterone? I know. Angry. Like for sports, I don't know. Maybe they do. But they were just, they were out here. They were like, you know who we're going to take this out on? The women. Particularly when Russian women were defeating like Western, quote unquote, Western women, it was believed that they were taking exogenous testosterone because oftentimes they tended not to fit the Western ideal of femininity. So they were being accused of like taking testosterone, especially because they were winning. And with all, yeah, exactly. They're just blaming. I know. Uh, Yes, yes, exactly. That's a theme. That's an important concept. Mm-hmm. And so with all this distrust just blaming it on. came sex testing. They're just blaming it. Where elite <laughs> just level <laughs> female athletes yeah. would often have to get a letter from a physician confirming their sex as female or have their genitalia visually examined or get genetic testing or have their hormone levels measured to determine if they were male or female. What? right isn't that insane that is the most ridiculous thing i've literally ever heard what what that's so one expensive and two like i know personal and yeah oh my god that's so dumb (laughs) i know there's no way around it how stupid that is this had been in practice for several decades And they did it to allegedly protect female athletes from men trying to disguise themselves as women and compete against them, even though there's literally never actually been a case of a man trying that. But it wasn't until the 2000 Sydney Olympics that the IOC eliminated sex testing. Oh, what? They still reserve the right to do it if they decide they need to whatever that means i know isn't that ridiculous what that's the question how right? do you even determine that huh. so they can still do that and they do and we're gonna get to that but this all everything we've been talking about until this point has been at the professional level right like we were talking about the olympics we're talking about elite athletes we haven't even talked about amateur sports or high school sports So for background, because I think this is a good place to talk about this topic, but Title IX, what do you know about Title IX? Title IX is if your school receives government money, then it can't discriminate between boys and girls, basically. It's like standard, but it also can't discriminate between like LGBTQ like communities. It's just like no discrimination based on whoever. And then it also, when it, started i think it like created girls sports in schools yes 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 to all of that so 
This is a federal law that bans discrimination by sex in federally funded education programs. So exactly what you said. And also, like you said, it's acceptable to have separate teams for male and female students. But specifically, this clause like applies to contact sports. So sports like wrestling, hockey, rugby, not that we really play rugby here, but yeah, that idea. Never um, know. And title, I know, and title nine is interesting enough, like on its own, uh, that could be like a whole episode and a topic for another time, but we're focusing on our topic. And so uh, the Obama administration, it was during this time that it was clarified that the interpretation of title nine undoubtedly included transgender students in its protection by saying, quote, the departments treat a student's gender identity as the student's sex for purposes of Title IX and its implementing regulations. This means that a school must not treat a transgender student differently from the way it treats other students of the same gender identity. So basically, under the Obama administration, there was a clause or a statement made about Title IX that for all purposes, gender equals sex in the way that, because the language used by Title IX specifically used sex, which is typically the gender assigned at birth, but gender, as we know, is Mm -hmm. like a social expression and like a self-expression. So. They were basically saying, for all intents and purposes, those are equal. Yeah. After the statement was made, 23 states and governors filed lawsuits against the administration, arguing that the statement redefined sex to include gender identity and that this was an overreach of the federal government. And then after Trump's election in 2016, his administration fully just rescinded the statement. And so this settled all the lawsuits, but kind of left things in limbo. And the question of whether transgender students could compete in sports, for example, trans girls competing in women's sports was still in question now. It became even more of a question now that this statement was was rescinded. But Mm -hmm. in February of 2020, the families of three cisgender girls filed a federal lawsuit against the Connecticut Association of Schools and the nonprofit Connecticut Interscholastic Athletic Conference. Basically, these families of girls like sued associations in Connecticut because they were upset that trans girls were competing against cis girls in high school track. And they argued that the trans girls should play on the boys team. Okay, I see. Yeah. And when the cis girls were talking about this whole experience, they said that before races, they felt like they had no chance of winning against trans girls. And I'm a big proponent of validating feelings. So, like, I do recognize that based on their life experiences and how we've all been socialized, it makes sense that these girls were feeling this way. But Mm -hmm. what wasn't mentioned was that even though the trans athletes did win a couple races, the cis girls also won races. And two days after the lawsuit was filed, one of the cis girls defeated the trans girls at the state competition. So. Yeah, oh, so I don't know. It sounds pretty equal. It's, exactly. People are right. Like trans girls aren't out here winning all the time just because they were assigned male at birth. Like that's not, yeah, something to consider. Very important. But um, also, though, Shari, I just wanted to ask, like, what, in your opinion, is the purpose of high school sports? Like, what do we even get out of them? Why do we have them? When I thought about this, um, as I watched my younger siblings do sports in high school and everything, I feel like sports teaches a kid how to be independent. Honestly, like it teaches you to be responsible. It like teaches you how to work out. It like teaches you important life skills. I guess it's not so much about like 
being the best athlete you've ever been in your life. Mm-hmm. I think it's more about like bridging like your childhood to adulthood almost because you learn a lot through doing sports or just any extracurricular activity in high school, really. But like sports is such a common one where it really makes you like be disciplined and not just a kid like running around doing whatever you want. Yeah, I agree (laughs) with all of that. And I think the other thing too, that is like a piece of this is that it's like you said, high school sports aren't meant to be like a showing of the best athleticism ever. It's about inclusivity and like camaraderie and being on a Mm -hmm. team. Um, And so nowhere in that answer, did you say that their purpose is to crush the competition? Yeah, no, not at all. (laughs) Yeah, not at all. It's about being, like I said, inclusive, setting personal goals and chasing those goals with your team. And this case about like this intense competition that these girls like felt, I guess, it went on to the Supreme Court. And on June 25th, 2020, the Supreme Court issued a six to three majority opinion actually written by Trump's nominee, Neil Gorsuch, that the courts would hold that Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act protects LGBTQ folks from employment discrimination, from punishing someone for being in a same-sex relationship, and protects trans folks. And so this ruling was very surprising, but it also extends to other laws, including Title IX. So a precedent has now been set linking gender identity and sex, which is a big win. This is a big step forward because essentially it's saying that under this Civil Rights Act that you know, sex and gender, though they're not the same, that you kind of assume the gender identity of a person as their sex. And that applies to Title IX. And so that is supposed to be a kind of protection for trans youth. Mm-hmm. And so this is really great, a good step forward. But when I was reading that, the first thing that came to my mind was two things. One was, How is this going to be enforced? Because there's always workarounds for discrimination. And two, if there are issues coming up like this at a non-professional high school level, then it's probably so bad at the elite level. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking of my friend from high school who's literally suing the Department of Education right now for, for, for not enforcing Title IX at her university in their queer community there. So it's definitely a huge issue. (laughs) Like, yeah, outside of sports and out like in everything, I'm sure it's just not being implemented. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And kind of tying back to, or getting back into the elite sports that we were talking about, we kind of knew that this was going to be true, that if things are hard at a high school level, I mean, at an elite level, when the stakes are way higher, of course, it's going to be even more challenging. And so Mm. I wanted to talk about a story that maybe you've heard about, uh, because the story catapulted this issue of trans girls in sports into the spotlight. And it was about Castor Semenya of South Africa. And she is a two-time Olympic champion in track, track and field, who has been ordered to take testosterone suppressants in order to compete in the next Olympic Games. So she tried some of this. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She tried to appeal the ruling, but lost. And the International Association of Athletic Federations or IAAF, which is the international governing body for track and field is requiring some track athletes with naturally elevated testosterone levels to lower those levels with drugs or surgery if they want to compete. So this brings up a lot of questions like who's going to get tested? All women? Trans women? Women who don't fit our mold of feminine? There's just so much room for discrimination here. Which doesn't make any sense because part of sports, like if you're a good athlete, 
like a really like world renowned good athlete, you probably have something different about your body that allows you to be a better athlete. Like Michael Phelps, who has extremely long limbs that are super weird and like makes him an amazing (laughs) swimmer. Like what do they make him do? Cut off his limbs and like sew them back on to their normal length. So he's equal to other swimmers. Like that's basically what it is, but a more exaggerated example, but no, yeah. I mean, he it's literally like, has Marfan syndrome, but it, it's seen as a good thing. Yeah, yeah. It's not yeah. seen as like, oh, he has an unfair advantage. But like, right. if you're going to put it at the same standard as having high testosterone, then yeah, he does have an unfair advantage because his body was made yeah. differently. Like, yeah. No, yeah. And we're going to get into that because that's that's real. But Caster Semenya is one of many female trans athletes who faced discrimination over the years. And there were so many women who came before her. I don't have time to mention them all, though I wish I could, but I will say a few. So there was Stella Walsh, who was a track gold medalist, who was killed in a robbery in 1980 and was found to have ambiguous genitalia. And this, even post-mortem, fueled accusations against her that she was a man. And it started up this whole conversation of, you know, whether she deserved to get the medal that she won, et cetera, et cetera. Even after she died? That's awful. I know, even after she died. She was literally, like, killed. It was, it's just awful. There's Renee Richards, who was who challenged the U.S. Tennis Association to compete. She was, is a trans woman. Um, there's Mian Bagger, who was the first transitioned athlete to play in the Ladies Professional Golf Association and many other women who came before Caster. And yet here we are still at this point where she is not allowed to be who she wants to be. So, right. Yeah. yeah. But this all kind of ties back to what you were talking about at the beginning, Shar, where we were talking about reservations that people have about having trans girls play mm-hmm. as in women's sports. Yeah, um, yeah. And according to an article for the Washington Times, most Americans oppose transgender women, transgender athletes in women's sports. So I want to take a moment to think about why that is. And I think kind of like you said before, hormones and like particularly testosterone use is interesting because it's often the argument that is used by people to say why trans girls shouldn't be in sports. Mm -hmm. So testosterone as a steroid is used to increase muscle volume. And based on that alone, you might think, Okay, yeah, an increase in muscle volume means stronger, faster, probably better, probably more athletic. And if we've been upset with men using testosterone to enhance their muscle volume, this probably puts trans women, like based on that same logic, that if we're upset that men use testosterone as a steroid, then Mm -hmm. it would be a logical jump to assume that trans women who have potentially higher testosterone levels are also at the same advantage. And that's not Mm -hmm. fair when these women are competing against cis women. And I think that that's a valid thought to have. And if I'm being honest, I thought the same thing at certain points, even while writing this, this episode, you know, I, I was considering all of the sides, but In a 2019 book written by two scholars, Rebecca Jordan Young, who is a sociomedical scientist at Barnard College, and Katrina Carcases, um, an anthropologist and bioethicist at Yale, uh, they wrote a book that examined data available currently on testosterone and found that the data were actually very mixed and that muscle volume wasn't the only factor that determines strength. Some studies even showed that higher baseline testosterone was associated with worse athletic performance. 
So oh, we're what? using this. I know, I know. It's just like what all of this kind of told me was that we're using this arbitrary level of hormones to determine who is quote unquote female enough by requiring things like hormone testing. When in fact, there's a lot of different factors that go into athletic performance. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that really got me though, was this study where they looked at 2000 Olympic athletes and 4.7% of women had testosterone levels in the typical male range, but 16.5% of men had testosterone levels below the typical male range. And this doesn't mean that by that. I know because hormone levels fluctuate so greatly in people. Of course, there's like a lot of variation. And this doesn't mean that the male athletes weren't overall larger, stronger, and faster than the female athletes. They objectively were, like as a whole, they were. But it also shows that testosterone levels don't correlate to athleticism. And essentially, all of this discussion should at least demonstrate that testosterone isn't a reliable determinant of gender. Plus, we know that gender is socially constructed anyway. So how can we quantify or use something to quantify it at all? Because we can't. Yeah. Imagine if there was like a testosterone level barrier that like, if you're above this, then you're a male, if you're below, you're a female. And then there's like a percentage of like socially considered males who are below it. So technically like then they'd be female. Like it doesn't, you can't put a standard on it basically. Yeah, exactly. And (laughs) testosterone, we know that things like steroids and testosterone and just what we make in our bodies, they fluctuate so much, even within the same person over a lifetime, over a day, like the amount that our body makes is different. And I know it might, maybe it's negligible, but we all have natural fluctuations. And like, depending on the time of day, you could be considered like a male over a female. Like, I don't know, that's just a crazy concept. Um, But in reality, all of this, I think just kind of boils down to the fact that we as a society still just have tons and tons of transphobia. But rather than outright admitting that that is the reason that trans girls are being banned from sports, because I think inherently we know that that's a weak argument, we're using science to co-opt and back up this argument in Mm -hmm. favor of certain beliefs. And it kind of reminds me of like a similar history of how we've painted black athletes as like genetically superior to try and downplay their hard work and training. Right. Like all in the same vein. And all of these sides to the argument basically boil down to fairness in sports. And I guess the big question is like, what even is fair? Is it fair to have a really tall Dutch woman compete against a really short Indian woman? Is it fair to have a girl with XY chromosomes who has never been able to respond to the testosterone that she makes compete as a boy because she has a Y chromosome, even though she's in every way a woman? Mm -hmm. Is it fair to test people's hormone levels to determine their gender? Is it fair to have spent decades separating sports by two genders only to now tell people that those lines need to be crossed? None of that really makes sense. And they all are just big questions revolving around this topic and what make it so complicated, but also seemingly so simple. And Mm -hmm. I just wanted to end this section because I think we have a lot that we can discuss, but I wanted to end the section with a quote from a trans woman, Mian Bagger, who I mentioned before, who said it best. She said, people often just do not understand the struggle that you go through in your daily life, like as a trans woman. Mm -hmm. The idea that a man would go through this 
to be a pro is totally misunderstanding of who and what we are. And I think that that is really powerful and very relevant. And so I think it's worth talking about, unpacking, discussing. Yeah, I agree. I have thoughts. Okay, so Shar, what what are you thinking? What are your thoughts? Um, okay, I cannot stop thinking about the fact that they would test, do all these tests to like confirm gender. Like I just can't imagine like how just demoralizing that is for someone to question your gender, which I'm like, I don't know because I'm not trans, but I'm if I were to assume. You're already going through a lot to prove to people that the gender that you have chosen is your gender. Like the gender that you're transitioning into is your gender. And you're already like just every single day trying to prove that to people who don't believe you or like don't understand it. And, and then you're forced to go through testing to like better what that is once again, questioning your gender. Like that's, that can be traumatic. Like you're already going through like it can pull you back to times when you were unsure about your gender. And now you're like being forced to talk to a medical professional about it. And then like literally mm-hmm. running a test to make sure that you, what you say about yourself is correct. I don't know. That just sounds awful and traumatizing. It sounds awful even for someone who hasn't questioned their gender. Like, I, I don't know how I would feel going through that process of like being tested. I'm like, what do you mean you're testing? If I'm like, female enough like I obviously am I don't know it just blows my mind that that happened and that like medical professionals would take part in that too is crazy um oh my god yeah that that's wild I know I feel like our podcast like every time something like this happens I'm always just kind of reminded that medical professionals are not always on the moral high ground. It reminded me of the resilience of trans folks and how much they've had to endure and how sad I feel and how like upset it it makes me feel that they've had to do that because they've had to be so strong in all these ways and endure all of this to achieve Mm -hmm. like a baseline level of livelihood and like they still manage to thrive, but it's like at what cost? Yeah. I think this is, yeah. it's also a good point to like why this topic is important to talk about like on our podcast, which is based around like health and medicine and like why are we talking about trans women in sports? Like that doesn't sound initially like it has to do with healthcare, but it does. Like we're talking about it right, right. now of how a healthcare provider has such like, an impact where they could have stepped in and said, this was, this is wrong. And it's not, it just shows how like healthcare leaks into so many parts of society that you wouldn't really think about, but it's so impactful and important to realize if you're someone who's going into the healthcare field, whether you're a nurse or a doctor, a dentist, whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. That was my biggest like main thought. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I think something that I'm still like grappling with or thinking about is the idea of like testosterone and what that entails. And I caught myself thinking like several times during the episode, like, oh, this person, you know, has a point that, you know, like testosterone levels, et cetera, et cetera. What does that Mm -hmm. implicate? And then I had to take a step back and really recognize my own biases and the ways in which like I've been socialized to- you know, forget about all of the other issues that trans folks have to go through. Like they're not doing this to try and like beat trans women in sports. Like that's definitely not it. Like one of the things you said, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like testing to see if a man was disguising as a woman to do female sports. Like, yeah, I just, and I also think their quote at the end about how that woman was saying that like saying that a man would disguise as a woman is completely like discrediting the whole trans woman experience and you obviously don't understand like what who trans women are I just 
a man would have to let go so much ego to perform in a female sport that I can't even imagine it happening. Like the, the lengths that people are going to, to try to justify the like ridiculous things they're doing to marginalize people is like insane because I can't even imagine a man doing that. And this kind of like ties into my next point. So I might just like ask it and then talk about it it, more. But so women's sports are obviously like already viewed in a certain light. And so my question is, how do you think that has impacted the way that trans girls are viewed in sports? Um, So I guess when I think about women's sports, like kind of what we mentioned in the very beginning about like it being feminine and more dainty sports and things like that. And like how a trans woman might fit into that. Um, like they might not look as dainty and like, depending on like who they are and where they are in transition and what that means to them and just like how they present themselves, they might not fit into the, the standard of what a woman should look like in a sport. If we're talking about even when women were first allowed into sports and like, if you were too manly, then you weren't allowed to compete kind of thing. So if you have those characteristics because you're like really in a transition or whatever the reason is, you might be pushed away from even being in a, on a female sports team if you're a trans woman. So I think that's a barrier to them like playing sports. If people aren't viewing trans girls and trans women like as the same as like cis girls or if Or even if they are viewing them as the same as like, they're not understanding the experiences that they're going through and how like, how being on a girl's team could be like really positively impacting them or also negatively impacting them if they're being seen as differently. Like those things might not be considered by coaches, by like fans, by other people's on their team. And um, there's just such a level of acceptance, like on a team. And if you're a trans girl who like, doesn't know what it if people don't know what that means and like, they don't know how to accept you, then it's going to be like a huge issue for you, like going into playing a sport. Yeah. That's a really, really good point. That's so true. Um, and I think especially at like a not professional level, like at a high school level where inclusivity is like the cornerstone of the sport, it should be just like required to have that. Like, if you just accept trans girls onto the team, I mean, trans athletes in general, like they deserve to feel that acceptance. Especially like in high school, if you like don't feel accepted on your team, you might not be that into the sport at that point to like ignore it. You might just quit the sport because the social acceptance might be more important as a teenager than the athletic ability that you have like that's something you probably yeah. you gain more in college and like more as you get into the professional side of it but like from just a middle school high school standpoint you're kind of just doing it to make friends because you enjoy it but if you are like being pushed away by the team you don't feel accepted by the team like you it just might not yeah. be worth it to no, you anymore I get that. Um, it does suck and which sucks <laughs> when it's yeah. something that's so easily fixed yeah to be accepted no, definitely And I think like something I was thinking about too, especially in the history, was how sports have been approached in such a paternalistic way. It was always that cis women were needing to be protected or given a fair shot, things like that. And I was thinking about those girls in Connecticut and how they felt threatened by competing against trans girls. Mm -hmm. And I guess something that I felt like we are so fixated on is these ties to masculinity that we ascribe to trans women. And like, again, we just forget about the high rates of anxiety and depression and social isolation, rejection and discrimination that these women face. Like they're not doing this for funsies. They're doing this because this is really legitimate. And They're not, yeah, they're not thinking like, oh, I'm going to start identifying as a different gender because it's going to help me get a sports advantage. Like, no. And like even holding on to the ideas that like their previous gender of being male or like being masculine is going to affect them as a, as a trans woman. Like that's just completely discrediting their transition to a trans woman too. 
Like you're like openly not accepting that they're a trans woman if you're more worried about their masculine like sides, because those are things that like they might not identify with anymore, which is going to feed into that mental health. Right. And like we were saying, gender is fluid. Like you don't have to be like one or the other. And so accepting like where we each are on our gender spectrum Mm -hmm. is like something that we all could be better at. But um, kind of tying into that though. So I know the episode is primarily focused on trans girls. And I chose this because it's been such a point of contention, especially recently. But we, of course, have to think about who we're not considering. And as I was doing my research, I became aware of how much I was focusing on trans girls and wasn't at all thinking about trans men. And so I did more research and I actually found that this is just like a general problem that exists in that there is a hyper focus on trans women in sports and almost no talk about trans men. So I wanted to ask like why you think that is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely think it's because men aren't worried about trans man coming in and beating right. them basically because to if they're having the same thoughts as they might have about a trans woman in their mind the trans man is coming in as a woman competing in their sport now and they're like oh we're not worried about that so it's it's the same concept just flipped so like instead of a woman's sport merit worried about like a trans woman using their previous life as a man as an advantage, like a male sport is not worried about a trans man using their previous life as a female as an advantage. It's just the flip. Yeah, exactly. Like in either scenario, being the, being the one to identify as a woman is like the lesser option. Yeah. And I think the other thing I was thinking about um, in this issue of like hyper-focus on trans women and invisibility of trans men in sports is uh, the hormonal aspects of it too and estrogen and how estrogen is not estrogen is like usually associated with like problems it's like oh estrogen causes blood clots estrogen makes women crazy lack of estrogen is cancer menopause like estrogen is not viewed at all in the same way that testosterone is even though they're both steroids and so that was something else I was Mm -hmm. thinking about and yeah like I didn't really write in much about trans men but the fact that they aren't discussed is definitely like a salient point and there's a lot of trans men who are in sports who do compete at incredibly high levels um, but aren't given their due diligence and I think that Mm -hmm. That says a lot about the way that we think about gender as well. And the stark contrast between like the way that trans men and trans women are treated and the fact that trans women are currently like very much in the spotlight. This is like a very big issue in the sports like communities, especially as the Olympics approach and such. But we just aren't talking about it at all. Yeah, I mean, it just really goes to show how like perceptions of women as a gender like is so controversial like if you're being controversial about a trans woman all the issues are pointing towards like the social ideas of women that like women are weaker so that if a trans man is in a male like team it's not an issue because if they're viewing that man as a woman then they're weaker anyways who cares but then if there's a trans woman on a female team then the cis women are weaker. So that's an issue. Like it is. I mean, I understand why it's a contentious thing and why it's like still not fully decided on in terms of what is right and wrong. But I think that we have to collectively understand our own biases, our internalized transphobia, our, the way we've been socialized and also just have like a greater level of empathy or what trans folks are enduring and surviving mm-hmm. and like, and how we can be better allies to them. Yeah. Thank you for having this discussion with me. Very important discussion. Always more. Th- thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Of course. But <laughs> always more to discuss, always more to talk about. But 
if you like this episode and you want to stay in touch and keep in contact with what other things we're talking about, you should subscribe to the podcast. We're available on all the podcasting apps. And if you want to leave a rating and review, we would love for you to do that. Apple Podcasts is the best place for that as well. Yeah. And then you can also follow us on our social media. We have an Instagram and we also have a Twitter now. Our Instagram handle is at from scrubs and our Twitter handle is at F S T S underscore podcast, or you can also just search from scratch to scrubs and we should come up. Um, and then you can also check out our website, which is from scrubs.com for more information on our shows, more information on Alicia and I, our show notes, our sources, and a link to our merch. Yes. And as our podcast grows, we're interested in doing more collabs and making bonus content, which we've been working on. So if you or someone you know wants to work with us, you should shoot us an email. You should Insta DM us. You can Twitter DM us now, which is really fun. But yeah, reach out. Yeah. And lastly, here is to the women who fought for us to be where we are today. And then we do the same for those who come after us. Yay. Happy Pride. Yay. Happy Pride. See everyone next time. 